It's one of the things about entrepreneurship. There is no reward without the risk. Every great entrepreneur had help. And where is that help going to come from? It's going to come from that social network. You don't have to be smarter than everybody else to make money doing asset allocation and save. I think there's a danger when you're in business to find arrogance. And especially if you're doing really well, at the end of the day, I ain't nothing special. I'm just a guy. What has value? Well, what has value is whatever people say has value. I'm going to get better and better and better at what I do as I get older. So the best me is going to be the me right before I die. Hey, family, welcome back to the Marketplace podcast. I'm your host, Priest Willis, and in today's episode, number 135, I'm talking to Tarak, who is co-founder of Water & Brood, which is based in Amsterdam. I had the pleasure earlier this year to go out to Amsterdam as I was organizing an event for affiliates and partners that we work with, and it was a great experience to go out there and see such bubbling business. I read about his business in Travel Noir, which I'll actually link up in the podcast notes. And his journey was actually very inspiring in terms of he went to school for business and economics and then got into public relations, understanding that ultimately he would build up to creating his own business. So we've never had anyone on before that has talked about the restaurant business. So this is a really inspiring story. So I hope you get something out of this from overseas, and I hope it does something for you and your business. So without further ado, here is my man, Tarak. Hey, Tarak, welcome to the program, man. Please love to be here. Love to be here live. Yeah, man. I'm I'm excited to have you. I'm I'm really excited. I had an opportunity to go out to your cafe, which was amazing, man. The place was really, really nice, pleasant. The music was nice. Met Pops and some of the family working behind the counter. So I wanted to share that experience and and talk about you. So why why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How'd you get started in the restaurant business? I saw that you went to school for economics and law, and, yeah. and I believe you started working in public relations. So what what kind of pivoted you into the restaurant business? Opportunities, man. Opportunities. Like, as you said, like when you come in, you're bound to meet my dad, you know, got cousins from working behind the bar. It's like a real family thing, and we got the opportunity to do it. And I'm not from this business at all. So the restaurant that we opened, that's my first restaurant. Um, that I opened with my brother. And before that, it was more like corporate. And before that, more creative. So uh, it was a journey to get where we are right now. Yeah. So you, you started off in economics and law, though. What, what what were you planning on initially doing when you got out of school? Man, I got in the school knowing that, okay, there's like two things you need to know. And that's economics and that's law. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. So basically the way I plan out and the way I plan out my life is very pragmatic. So I see, I tackle problems on a level that I'm, that's, that's practical for me. So I knew I'm a creative at heart. Mm-hmm. But when I look around and see most creatives, they don't know how to handle their business and turn their creativity into a business, into a self-sustainable uh, business, right? Mm-hmm. The ones, then the ones that do know how to turn into a business, they get jacked on the contract side. Mm. So I knew like, okay, even mm. if, if, if I get to know and learn business, I need to know how to at least read my own contracts when I get in it. Mm. So mm. I always knew that creativity was something that you develop through living 
right, experiences. But then to really learn and go to school, that's the practicality that you need to um, basically find out where you can find the information that you need, that you're looking for. Right. Right. So when I got into um, business and law, I was always a student and I, it, it never came hard to me. And I was also interested in how to get my own rights. So on the side, I always kept in, kept busy with photography, like designing, like styling and stuff like that in the fashion. And I gave myself up until 25 to do all that, to explore all that. You know, I had a radio program where we branched off into a live um, debating sessions and talk shows and stuff like that. And it actually all came to me just moving and mingling with people and never saying no. Mm-hmm. Like always only seeing the opportunity and say yes to everything. Just, you know, to be able to say, yeah, I tried that. That's not for me or that is for me. And I keep doing that. I love that. Saying yes to everything. I love that mindset. And this is something, I guess this is the mindset I got from my dad to really uh, look at life and like divide it in the sections because he always said like, yo, the same dudes that had money back when I was younger, they asked me for money now. Right? So they didn't plan <laughs> it out right. So right. I started thinking, I started like, you know what? I'm going to define my life in three chapters. Like till 25, that's for learning, experiencing, going to school, you know, getting that foundation. But most of all, see the world, right? So I did a lot of traveling yeah. in there, a lot of trips to the States in that period, but mostly a lot of experiences. So then I hit 25 and it's like, okay, now I got to start my career because 25 to 40, like that's the time you can work the hardest. You're the most, you know, healthy. You got a little bit of experience. You're not too old. You're not too young though. So, you know, you know, a little bit how to move, but you do need that. Basically that's financial foundation right now to really enjoy what life has to give. Mm-hmm. So the year before that, I spent um, like I spent a month in Morocco. Then I went for four months in Suriname, where I'm originally from, and then I spent three months in New York. Basically, try to figure out like what area am I gonna start my career. And when I came out of there, when I came back from from New York, I basically left all my savings in New York. But that's an expensive city. I didn't have to tell you that. That's like they 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 took everything. <laughs> so when I came back, when I came back, I was like, okay, so I got this degree. I need money. Where's money? So I went to work for the bank. And getting into that corporate system, that was a whole different lifestyle. But it taught me yeah. so much. Because I'm trying to uh, figure out, like, okay, how can I make this time here? Because I knew I wasn't going to make, like, I wasn't going to be there for years and years. But the time I was at that company, I wanted to get as much out of it as possible. So working for the bank, I started learning about, like, ownership, right? So I was in uh, business banking, so. A lot of entrepreneurs came to me with their business plans about, yo, this is how I plan to make money. And this is how I plan to get you your money back. So that insight gave Mm -hmm. me a lot of things to look out for when you start a business, any type of business. 
on the money side, right? There's all these business plans coming mm-hmm. through your hands. And at one point I was like, yo, I'm here working on other people's dreams, other people's plans, you know, trying to figure their shit out. So, uh, yeah, as I was saying, like a lot of these businesses, they came through and, and you know, all these people, they're talking enthusiastically about it, what they plan to do. Some of them, it's like they're bound to fail. I was like, mm, I don't expect you to put any money behind this because we're not. And I advise mm-hmm. you to keep your money in your pocket and keep working on your business plan. So, and then other business plans like, oh, yo, you got a goal. You, you, you got gold out here. We want to support you. So we're going to figure out how to, you know, cover your risks and what you need. And then during this time, I was like, okay, I need to set myself up because I want to start my own business. But what I'm not going to do um, is to be dependent off of the business that I'm starting up in the first couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. So then I figure out, and you know, talking to colleagues from the other departments and stuff like that, it's like before I was um, working at the bank, I never thought I was able to buy a house and what that actually meant, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't know actually the value of equity. I love your approach, man, how you're breaking it down in three chapters, how you're using the the first one to understand that it's about education, gathering the knowledge and just using your youth, which sometimes is helpful because, you know, your youth comes with a little naivety because sometimes as you get older, you think, well, I can't do that. But when you're young, you think you can do everything. And then. The, oh, a lot of mistakes. Yeah, of made. course. Of course. <laughs> and then. From 25 to 40 or whatever it is, as you pointed out, you're still young. A lot of times that's the prime of making your money. So you use that opportunity to go in the corporate world and really start to gather the necessary tools on behalf of the corporate. And I love that because most people are trying to tout today, hey, you should quit your full time job. And really, that doesn't make sense. You should your hustles that you're working on on the side should dictate when you quit. Meaning if you're making a, yeah, if you're making enough, you should quit. So I love your approach to this, man. This is, this is, this is so easy to digest. Exactly. And it's important because a lot of young people come to me. It's like, yo, how did you start your business? How do you start your business? And it's like, yo, like the goal shouldn't be to start a business or to run a business, mm-hmm. right? The goal should be how to be self-sustainable. And your time that you spend working for somebody, you will always find a gap to where you can do the work that's asked for you and research what you need to do to make the next yes. step. Yes. Right? I mean, how many, how many hours in a day, how many hours do you spend in the office instead of like um, sneaking an extra 15 minutes of break, use that 15 minutes, right? To sit behind the computer, open up some Google and do your research. So that, that's exactly what I did. I used my time in that company to get out. Yeah. And a lot of times what people, you know, as they're listening to this, they're like, well, you know, you you should act this way. You should act that way. Keep in mind that when you're trying to find and discover new ways of doing stuff, sometimes that can benefit the company you're working for. That's why Google, Google here in the U.S., they support people spending 20 percent of their time creating other apps and businesses because they realize that creative juice that's flowing could ultimately benefit them as well. And a lot of tools have come out of Google because they've spent time trying to sharpen themselves in other areas. So I think that's exactly the way you should approach life. Exactly. And 
I agree with it a hundred percent because during my time there, like, so Amsterdam is kind of sectioned off in um, four. Well, I guess you can call it boroughs, and the southeastern part is historically where they put all the uh, mm-hmm. immigrants. So you'll find a lot of people from Suriname there, Ghana, Nigeria, uh, Dominican. Um, and they're all there in kind of these, um, yeah, like high-rise buildings. And it always had like a negative uh, connotation mm-hmm. to go there, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you go out and people assume that because of just a color of your skin that you live there. Um, and like historically, there's been a lot of crime and stuff like that, all the all the problems basically when you that you that you get when you build a project like that, but then um, now you see all these uh, companies putting their offices there. So there's a kind of a development there, right? So me working for that company and one of the biggest banks in uh, in um, in Europe actually, I pitched to my management like, listen, we have so such a big presence here, we have to do something for this for for the for the for the locals. Uh, here. So that's when I started. And I was already on that in the department where I, you know, gave uh, advice on how to start a business with the, with the risks uh, come with the business, stuff like that. But the people that walk in with the idea are usually not the people that I recognize myself in. So I had mm-hmm. to go out and look for the people that I recognize myself in. And that's when you do a little bit more than is asked from you, right? But then you got to figure out a way to make it work for you personally mm-hmm. as well. Because yes, of course, I like, that's a thing that I like to do is give advice to people and see them uh, grow. But then at the same time, that's a whole nother network. That's a whole nother thing that everything that you give back to your community, they're going to give that back to you. Yes. So when I started my own business, that was the first community that came outside of Southeast to where I was at, like, yo, we're going to support this black business because he had us our back when we, you know, needed him. So when I, when I came to your restaurant, Tarak, was that where I was at? Was I on the Southeast side of Amsterdam? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. My restaurant is actually on the, the border, border of the center. Okay. Got it. So yeah. let, let's talk about that. No, you, 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 you would know when you go to Southeast, you would definitely know. <laughs> where you're at. So let, let's talk about that a little bit. So, First of all, I totally get the way kind of how Amsterdam is laid out, how you're explaining it here, at least, because that's that's how the U.S. is for a long time. There's parts of New York and other parts of of other areas that were predominantly minority or people like Harlem, for example. People were afraid to go in those areas. And then over time uh, and there could be, you know, other issues that relate to that, whether that's uh, redistricting and all that stuff that happens from a political standpoint. But then they big businesses start to move into those areas. And that's why New York took your money, mm-hmm. because you're probably in areas that are <laughs> more expensive. And, you know, they start putting more high rises up and corporations move in those areas. So that that happens all part. That's why people need to travel more to see that a lot of the issues that we have in the U.S. are similar to other parts of the country. But it's also good to build these bridges. But the way that I found you was I was reading Travel Noir. Uh, black owned Amsterdam, uh, Netherlands that talked about black owned businesses there. And you and your brother had a prime piece in that article talking about water and brood, which is your cafe slash restaurant slash bar, which I think is really cool. And again, we're going to get to your mantra a little bit. 
But that was important for me to find and support the people in those areas. That's why I came out to your cafe. So here you are now. You start a business, which is really cool. And again, inside is so clean, so thorough. I just really enjoyed uh, the atmosphere and the, the surrounding area. It was really nice. But you and your brother got into the business. So first of all, let's talk about why did you name it Water and Brood? Because somebody from Amsterdam said, hey, that means water and bread. Explain to me yeah. kind of, but now you have a mantra that says good food, no bullshit, which I think is pretty cool and pretty straightforward. <laughs> Talk about how, how you got to the naming, how you guys decided where you're going to start up and, and, and just the water and brew in general. Yeah. So when I spoke to my brother about, okay, what we're going to name it, um, we had a concept in mind and we both know that we didn't come from this world, but we had to be authentic, right? We had to keep it close to ourselves. So what we not wanted to do is put something out there and make all these big promises. Like mm. it's going to be organic. It's going to be uh, healthy. It's going to be, you know, you have <laughs> yeah. a bunch of restaurants or cafe, cafes or, you know, bars. They make a lot of promises. What we wanted to do, we spoke about it and said, like, listen, as long as the food is good, we're going to be good. So mm. all this extra, all these trends, all this Instagram, if the food is good, the rest is going to be good. So that's why we say good food, no bullshit. And Vater and Brot, which is the name of the, uh, of the restaurant, um, translates to water and bread, is to us is the foundation, right? When you, when you look in the Bible, it's about water and bread. You know, mm. Jesus turned uh, water into wine and he broke bread. And he fed a whole village, right? So that's the foundation right there. And we felt like as long as it's about the food, right? And the people going to come. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. And they say like build it and they will come. Of course, you had to build it in the right spot, right? Right. And in this case, the location came before the concept of the company. So the company could have actually been anything, but the research that we did came out that at that particular spot on that corner, the best a company, the best business for this spot would be a, a cafe, a restaurant. When I say the location came, yeah, when I say the location came before the concept, because for about like 25, 26, seven years, my dad had a bike shop on that corner. Mm. and my dad you met yep. that night so he he was like um going towards his pension and he always wanted to go back to Suriname. and it's like okay guys i'm gonna go back i got this location of course we can just give it up but if you guys got an idea to do something with it right it's all yours think about it all you need to know is i'm not gonna be here <laughs> <laughs> so with that in the back of our heads, you're like, okay, pop, pop. So a couple months later, uh, I spoke to my brother and I was like, listen, I got this idea. Look at the environment. They just put a, a hotel across the street. And like one of the keys I've learned is that when it comes to uh, location, if there's a hotel being built anywhere, that means that whole area is going to be developed. Yes. So when you see 
because they do their research. They're not going to just sit right. anywhere, right? So when I saw, like, I saw on the windows, they had, like, their website spelled out. And I went to the website and saw, like, oh, this is what you guys planning here? And they had this whole, like, a new concept of a hotel. And then I, I found a number and I called them. It's like, okay, listen, I see you, you guys are building a hotel right here. The area, you know, I know the area, but what do you want your guests to see when they walk out of your hotel? Mm-hmm. Right? That's about the environment. That's about that. what would add to their bottom line. Because obviously, when you book a hotel, you're going to see, okay, what's in the surrounding mm-hmm. area? And they said, like, well, what we really miss in this area is a, a spot for, like, good coffee, for good lunch, you know, because we're not really going to focus on food or drinks. So uh, we would love our guests to have a, a lunch spot or a brunch spot on walking distance. And my own research said, like, that's exactly what is missing at this spot right here. So that's matched. So they basically confirmed what I was already thinking to do in that location. So I told them, okay, listen, I'm going to figure it out. And yeah, like a year later, we opened the restaurant. Hey guys, many of you know that I've started my own business in many different ways. I've started several different side hustles and frankly, there's no real way to duplicate myself other than outsourcing my business. And along the way, I've found trials and tribulations of meeting different people using different platforms like Upwork, Fiverr, all these different systems that entrepreneurs and other people like myself tend to use. And I wrote a book about it. It's called The Beginner's Guide to Outsourcing Your Business. Find, hire, and build your team virtually today. As an entrepreneur, you cannot handle every business process yourself. In business, results matter, and your goal to produce the best results matter. How do you do this? You need a team. Read this virtual outsourcing book. It's on Amazon. Click the link in today's show notes. It's only $2.99, so click the link in the book description. Let me know that you ordered it today. Love to hear your feedback about it. And if you're looking That's to amazing. build out your so team let, and let's, expand let's your brand, let's add a quick disclaimer. So, is the answer. And I found, I found out when I went to Amsterdam, and I want to make this clear for our listeners, that there's show. a difference between coffee shops and cafes. And Word, the different... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just to make this disclaimer real quick. So coffee shops are when people go in, the primary reason... Most people go into the coffee shops. And again, this isn't in the U.S. This is Amsterdam. But people go in to smoke cannabis. They go in to smoke weed. They go in to smoke, uh, you know, the good good. Whatever you want to call it, they go in to smoke that. And um, the sticky icky, whatever you want to call whatever name you got for it, that's what they have inside the coffee shops. You'll find it. Yeah, you'll you'll find it. And, And the coffee shops are everywhere. In fact, there's about 200 certified uh quote unquote coffee shops in Amsterdam and people can read the history. We'll have it linked up on the podcast, but I believe it started off. It's hard to with, get one. It is. It, yeah. It is, that's what I was going to ask you yeah. next. So, you know, mellow yellow, I believe started one off initially. Yeah. And then that's what kind of got the ball rolling for coffee shops to open. So I was going to ask you, uh, why did you start a cafe versus a coffee shop in that area? Was there any particular reason or in is one more profitable than the other? Um, well, a coffee shop can do a million in turnover easily a year. 
But the problem with it is that it's not legal. Right. Mm. So that's the biggest misconception about Amsterdam and uh, uh, weed and marijuana is that it's legal. It's not legal. It's just it, it's just allowed. So that means that it's mostly controlled by uh, the government. And the coffee shops are allowed to sell it, but they're not allowed to buy it. Got it. So they have to buy it from some underground plantation. And when you want to get into that life, that brings a whole different like energy with it, right? Yeah. Because then you got to figure out how to source your weed. And then you have to deal with the illegality of that. And that's why exactly why America is ahead now, because they legalized it. That means like the best head, the smartest heads can figure out how to grow the best weed, what's in it, what it does. Versus from here, like, sure, they tell you, okay, this is the weed, this is where it comes from. And there's labs to test it and stuff like that. But it's not. But you don't like, really it's know. It's not the smartest brains. Yeah, it, but it's not the smartest brains that are out there developing like different <laughs> strains. Right. Because it's still in that kind of corner where it's like kind of frowned upon, kind of. But you can smoke it and you can smoke it anywhere. And then the second thing is like to open a coffee shop, you basically have to buy a license off of a, another coffee shop. And because it's so profitable, they go for a couple million, million just to get a license. Wow. Yeah. And then what you see now is the competition is so, yeah, so, so, so real um, that they put like bombs in front of your place and they close up. Mm. And now you can't even do your business anymore because the competition, they put like a hand grenade in front of the door, police find it, they close up your shop. Or like they shoot up the place and they have to, you know what I mean? Yes. Because they're very strict on what is allowed and what is not allowed. And when it's a, just a little bit of a, of, a, of a risk in a neighborhood, like someone shoots, okay, you're done. Yeah. So it's very easy to, 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 to cancel our competition like that. And people lose a lot of money, too. So you didn't want to put your business in a place that could always be subjected to close at any point. You wanted something with more stability. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I wanted something that would make sense for that location, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when we opened the restaurant, it was basically, okay, we figured out there's a lot of offices out here. Uh, and there's a couple of hotels out here. And then there's a people out here that, that, that live here. Um, so that's a given. But then, how I said, like, um, Amsterdam is pretty segregated. And whatever you give to the community, they're going to give it back. They're going to bless you with the same, um, you know, amount of love. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw that if we focused on our own people, right, mm -hmm. the rest is going to come. Right. So people often come in. It's like, yo, how did you get this mix of different cultures in your restaurant because you're investing back in the community there exactly like we're not open and say like okay we're gonna be this um hip type of restaurant or bar and all the like the trendy people are gonna come here and stuff like that so why well, we say we serve good food no bullshit you know what i mean like you, you're not gonna find like some amazing latte art <laughs> in a coffee no it's just good coffee we make sure the the, the coffee is quality coffee you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it tastes better than it looks. But you're going to leave there and say, like, yo, this was a great <laughs> cup of coffee. Right. You know what I mean? So how hard was it to open 
And let, let's just talk in general terms. How hard is it to run? Just first of all, how hard was it for you to open the business? I know your dad owned that spot, so it may have been a little easier to trans- transition over. I know in the U.S. here, you got to get certain licenses to sell, have a bar oh, yeah. and sell liquor and all that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe yeah, that's yeah. the same. Definitely. And, and, and how hard is it to continue running? Because in the U.S. here, restaurants typically close within the first three years. And I imagine that's because of competition and other factors. But are you seeing some of those same results? And how have you managed to stay open at, at the rate you are? Well, it's no joke. It's definitely no joke. And like a lot goes like, let me let me just first uh, touch on opening the restaurant. Uh, you have to apply for a lot of licenses. You know, you have to get a license for the liquor. You have to get a license for the terrace. You have to get a license for, like, for literally everything you're trying to do. But I had my background, obviously, in my education, but then also at the bank. So uh, when I wrote the proposal to the city for what I wanted to do, I knew exactly. I knew that um, they wasn't going to be as strict at what the bank asks of you. Mm. So I kept to the bank standard. When I basically um, gave them my business plan for the restaurant to the to the city, so I knew exactly what spots to hit, and I also confronted them with their own plans that they had for years for that area as well. So a lot of it is research, and what you want to do when you get across the table of someone basically able to make a decision of your dream to um, be completed or not is come up with some undeniable facts because you don't want to go back and forth with something that's uh, undeniable. Mm -hmm. So if the city, if you, like I found documents on documents of the plans that they wanted to do in development of that area, right? And I confronted them with that. Like, listen, 10 years ago, you said you wanted to do this with this area. Five years ago, you said you wanted to do this with this area. My plans fit into that plan. Mm. And the new plan, because cities, they always make plans, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They always make plans of what they wanted to do with the area, how they want to develop it. But then within the city, there's a lot of people switching positions as well. So one person might make a plan for the city. He gets another job. Someone else feel, uh, gets their spot, makes another plan. Blah, 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 blah. So when you see the red line, you see like, okay, so what I saw is they're trying to actually make this into a more lively neighborhood because it was um, voted one of the ugliest streets in Amsterdam because it's a lot of concrete, you know, was built uh, in the area with a lot of like brutalist um, buildings were built. So you see a lot of concrete, a lot of hard surfaces. Mm-hmm. So I basically confronted with them, like we want to make it more lively out here. We want to do something for the neighborhood. We want to make it more like, uh, like softer and like the plan was undeniable, so then we had to come up, you know, with the 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 the, the investment for it. Uh, we had to get our own um, uh, licenses to be able to pour liquor and stuff like that. You have to pass a couple of tests and stuff like that. So, but that is all. Like when you know when you know the rules, you got to make the rules work for you. Mm-hmm. And then the most important thing, though, is. We always sought out people that that had the answers, that been doing it. So when we came up and when we decided, okay, we're going to open a restaurant, God stepped in. Mm-hmm. To be completely honest, God stepped in at that point. Mm-hmm. 
So actually during this time, about, yeah, let me say four years ago, a week before Easter, I went in with my then, then girlfriend. I ate at a spot. The spot is closed now, but it was a Black-owned restaurant as well, a brunch spot. And it was my first time there. I brought my girlfriend, and I liked the vibe. I was like, yo, what's going on? Bob, they played the music that I, that I love. And I came in, and this dude walked up to me like, yo, how you doing? And we started talking, and like that was the owner of their restaurant. And I, I just like this vibe, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, listen, next week is uh, Easter. I'm going to bring my whole family here for Easter brunch. So then, like the week later, I brought my moms, my brother, my dad, my sister, her daughter, uh, like everybody. I brought everybody there. And my brother walked in and he's like, hey, you I know you. You still here? <laughs> so what happened? That same brother that owns a restaurant was like, yeah, I'm still here. I mean, this is my restaurant. What do you mean? So my brother said, no, 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 no. You remember like 10 years ago, you came into the bike shop? So my dad's bike shop, mm-hmm. right? Looking for a bike and I met you there. And he's like, oh, shit, yeah, I remember. Oh, that's you? And what happened is when he came to Amsterdam from New York, right? He walked into my dad's store and that was the first black family that he met coming to Amsterdam. Oh, wow. Exactly. Ten years later, he got his own restaurant. He's doing the business. Blah, blah, blah. Me and my brother are thinking about opening a restaurant. So it's like, yo, when you have the time, let's connect. Because I got a couple of questions about how you're setting up this restaurant. And everything like that. So a couple of days after that, we set up, we met up. And he basically explained what he was doing. And he was in like the restaurant business and yada, yada, yada. And I told him my concept. And since then, he was like, okay, I'm going to support you. And he and his partner, Tony, actually became mentors of mine. So that's Noah Tucker. And uh, that's, that's, that's the, the guy that we initially um, initially supported us in what we were doing. And he, what he said was, okay, what you guys need to do, I'm go- I want to learn, I want to teach you the business from the inside out. So he gave us the opportunity to come and work in his restaurant. Oh, wow. During the, yeah, during the period that we were setting up our own restaurant. Wow. Right. So sometimes it's about being open yep. to connections, yeah. but also recognizing a blessing. Yes. Because I saw like, yo, this connection right here, that's not nothing. That's, so there's something here right now. That's right. Yeah. That's, there's something here right now. And we need to build on that. And that was uh, about four years ago. A year later, we started working uh, the, on the on construction. A year later, we opened, and we've been open for two years right now, and we're still very close connected. Whenever I have something come up in the restaurant, it's like, yo, how do you deal with this and this and this? And it's like, oh, yeah, because they've been like, Tony and Noah, they've been in this business for years. Like, they were chefs, like, in Paris, in Japan, and you know, and they, they, they basically found ground here in Amsterdam. But they also want to see, they want to see your brother win too. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. That's so, that's so important. I mean, you, you're kind of hitting on something for me here about relationships. I mean, it goes back to why I name my LLC, my limited liability corporation network capital, because yeah. the capital is in the network that we do. And I don't mean cheesy network, just throwing out your business card at somebody. I mean, 
like what we've done. We built a relationship. I made a point when I came out there to meet you and we took a picture together and I'm like, hey, I want to stay in touch because now, you know, when you come over to the U.S., if you're in New York, we could meet halfway. I could come out to New York. You can come down to North Carolina. Now there's a connection. When I go back out to Amsterdam, I know where I'm going to go eat. I know I know somebody there. This is relationships are very, very important. So I think that makes total sense as you you built and run your business to have those relationships in place. Yeah, and you build from there. You build from there. Like at some point, like that's 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 another thing though, because it's one thing to meet someone um and recognize the equity. But I always say when you find someone who's willing to help you and willing to put his time behind you, make sure you appreciate that time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Make sure you follow up on the advice that they give you. Like if it doesn't work out, if that advice is not for you, it's not for you. But it has to be based on you trying, right? You trying to see like, okay, let me see. Okay, you told me how to do that. Let me try it that way. Exactly how you tell me, right? And then I see like, okay, this is not for me or this is for me. Mm -hmm. Because when it's people like us, right, we know how hard it is to make a connection and to build from there and to build a business. Mm-hmm. So other people look at us and say like, oh, they're successful. I wonder how they do that. And I always take my time to, to, to explain what's what. But then I notice like, yo, my time is becoming more and more valuable. So I don't have the time to sit with people who are not serious about their shit. Right. Right. So when you ask me, okay, how do I set up a business? And I tell you, okay, the first thing you need to do is write down your plan. Write down whatever you have in your head. Let me read that and we can go from there. Mm-hmm. And now it takes months for you to send me that document. Send me that file. Send me your thoughts on paper. You know what I mean? So how serious are you with your idea? Not- and why are you asking me to put my time in your idea when you don't even... But you put your own time behind yourself. Now, if you want to see pe- how serious people are, just send them this podcast and say, start here. Listen to this. Write down the plan. <laughs> tell me. Boom. Save you some time. So let's yeah, to rock, let's exactly. let's dive into the logistics a little bit of your business and what you're willing to share. I realize yeah. um, that some of it may be a little sensitive. So you you tell me where I'm going too far. But, you know, mm-hmm. when we're looking at a business like yours, a lot of times some of the the key you know, performance indicators are, you know, margins, location, which you already answered spot on about the location and getting it from dad, the competition, you knew a hotel was building in that area. So you knew that was one thing you could lay there. And I I don't remember seeing tons of cafes in the area at all. So you seem seem to have that. Your menu is pretty straightforward, but let's let's talk about margins and, and menus and kind of how you run that from a business perspective. So first of all, do you typically see good margins within your, your business? I mean, I guess that all depends on the product and how you source it, but how are the margins relatively speaking in, in your business? Well, if you want to have, if you want to uh, run a, a healthy company, you have to get the cost down. Like it's all about managing costs because, you know, you can tell the people that work for you to sell, 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 but, if you don't have your costs under control, you're going to look at your numbers like, yo, we made all this money. It was busy all week or all month. Where did the money go? Right. 
but you're spending too much on product. Yeah, on product. On on basically on where 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 do you source your ingredients from? And people always think like, okay, we you need to um you need to buy um as low cost as possible. That's not always the case because if you buy a high quality product, that means you can you can ask high quality prices for it, mm-hmm. right? But the quality has to show. So you can't just up your prices, like just give the people <laughs> the, the, the lowest quality of food. So you always have to uh, keep in mind that there's a balance between what you ask for and what you get and what you give. Right. So when it comes to margins, um, there, there's, a, there's a couple of standard uh, like percentages, like cost of food is 25%, cost of drinks you sell 20%. Cost of uh, rent, housing, ten percent. Cost of staff, twenty-three to twenty-seven percent. You know, so I always like I have a lot of meetings with my uh, accountant. Like, where are we right now? Where are we at the numbers? Like, if I want to make a, a decision, it always has to be based on the numbers, mm-hmm. right? Like, yo, I'm feeling I'm busy, but do I have room to hire another person? It's like, okay, well, just make sure if the person is going to, you know, cost you X amount. It's going to have to, let's say a staff member costs you 20, 20K a year. The staff member has to make 100K a year. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So before you hire that extra staff member, are you making that money already? Right. <laughs> or is that money coming like out of contracts? So, like you got to make sure that that money is coming. Because if now you have an extra staff member, now you have an extra cost, but you're not making the money yet, yep. right? Like, do you have a buffer? Do you have something saved to, you know, bridge the gap between hiring someone and that person really starting to make money? So it all comes down to the numbers. And you have to, like, the number game is so important in the restaurant business because 1% counts. You know sure. what I mean? And then also, like, it's control. It's portion control. Let's say you put, let's say the kitchen agrees on one slice of cucumber. And you notice someone puts two slices of cucumber on the, on the sandwich. Now, instead of buying cucumber once a week, you have to buy cucumbers two times a week. So at the end of the year, you're going to see that second slice of cucumber, right. right? It comes back in your numbers. It's like, yo, we agreed on one slice of cucumber. We've been putting two slices of cucumber on the sandwich every year, like every other uh, whole year. So now my cost in cucumbers doubles. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. So it comes down to the real small things about making sure that whatever you set your pricing on on the menu, right, you can't lose money on that item. And I, like, me and my brother were in it and we, did, we didn't come from the business, but we were very, adamant on like the numbers that we got right from other chefs from other restaurant owners um from uh our mentors like let's just stick to these numbers Mm -hmm. let's just make sure that whatever we do we don't stray away from these set margins and that's the that's the that's the biggest thing about running a successful restaurant because you can run you you can run the restaurant everybody can run the restaurant but not everybody can make money off of running a restaurant. Yeah. And that's why a lot of businesses close because they tend to 
give stuff away or or miss the the bottom line numbers and next thing they know they're in debt with su- suppliers and you know produce producers and all that kind of stuff for sure let's say okay my my um food cost right i want my food cost at 25 percent. now someone comes in and you want to give them a discount of 10 percent. so now your food cost is up to 35 percent already just because you wanted to give somebody a discount mm-hmm. right and that's when I, when I say like, okay, if you really want to support me and my business, right, you don't ask for a discount because you wouldn't ask for a discount across the street. Which I didn't, to be clear. Which you didn't. <laughs> I did not ask Tarak for a discount. I don't want to put that on you. Not, not at all. But that's, but, that's, but, that's, but that's what you no. see a lot of times though, <laughs> right? You open a business, like, yes. and that's, that's, made, yes. like, that, that's mostly because like, Obviously, we're in the mindset like, oh, this is your business? Oh, cool. Oh, you got the hookup, right? That's the hookup for a lot of people is the hookup. <laughs> right. But then they don't know the cost yeah. of running a business like that. So you can't even follow those people because mm-hmm. they feel like, yo, when I go to um, this big chain or whatever, um, let's say I got a homie working for McDonald's and he throws in a couple of extra nuggets, right? Like, Mm-hmm. McDonald's feels it, but not like a small business owner. You know what I mean? Like they're right. just changed and they can yeah. they can take it. I'd rather pay full price for your food than get a couple extra nuggets <laughs> thrown in, by the way. I just, it's just better. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Very much so. Very much so, man. Yeah. What about menu? Does your menu change up at all? Do you do you change based on the seasonality yeah, of the foods menu season, and definitely. Yeah, and, and it's okay. and you know what it is? Like that's that's because we're not from this business. A lot of rules are just for us are just cool to be broken as well. So that mm. means if you want to try a new menu mm. item and it don't sell, you take it off, right? That's how I look at the menu. Okay, what are the top mm-hmm. sellers? Okay, they stay mm-hmm. on. What are the we the the the, the slow ones? Take those off, replace them. How do they work? Uh, people are feeling it. As feedback, okay, we do it. Because I've been in this game and been learning as I go as well. There's a lot of things that that that, that people can tell you out based on their own experience. But some things you just have to go through. And some things are specifically for your business and they don't work at other businesses. Or what works for another business doesn't work at your business. So we've never been afraid to try new things, to try and see what works. And if it doesn't work, take it off. Try something else. How do you promote both offline and online? I mean, is it, I imagine when you first opened up, it was largely word of mouth, but do you do a lot of online promotions and do you do offline stuff? How do you typically attack marketing? Well, we could do a lot more. But because the premise of a restaurant was good food and no bullshit, a lot of the marketing is by the people, right? They come into the restaurant with the camera rolling. Yo, I'm walking to bathroom, bro. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yep. in Amsterdam. You, you see them walking in with their phones or the camera just basically shooting your commercial. Like they come in the restaurant, right. they take pictures of the food before they eat. 
write a whole damn review to put on their own Instagram, get their own followers, you know, to connect and stuff like that. So, and obviously we have our own, like our own Facebook, our own uh, Instagram, but the best, the best marketing is really the people that came to the restaurant. They had a good experience and they tell a friend to tell a friend. And, you know, other route could be like, okay, let's just make the food look good because you can't get around like the social media and stuff like that. So the food has to be photogenic. But first and foremost, the food has to be good. Mm. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's also a lot of a lot of networking again, like there's um, a lot of offices in the neighborhood. So you walk in. You give samples like, yo, this is what we do. We're right across the street. If you want to order ahead, you can do that too. If you want like a, a meeting catered, we can do that too. Like that's how I got this partnership with WeWork. It's basically off of just, you know, looking around, see what's in the neighborhood, walking in and like showing them and letting them taste what we have to offer and then keep on nourishing their relationship as well. Talk about that relationship with WeWork a little bit. So you, you're you connected uh, within Amsterdam for WeWork to what? Cater different meetings and stuff like that? So for one, uh, all the people that work within um, WeWork, they know exactly where we are if they want to meet and cater. But then every uh, Wednesday, we're in there selling lunch as well. Okay. This is just the start of wow. that part. And we're developing that part to do more days and uh, do more locations of the WeWork. But that's just a whole other um, stream of income. Because now it's not, okay, we're hitting the people that walk out and go out looking for food. But if you don't feel like going out and looking for food, we, we bring it right to you. Like it's undeniable. We're right there. We're in front of your nose. We bring it to you. So I like it. Yeah, we were never, never a sitting duck. It's just, okay, let's just open the door and wait and see. We just, like, we did our research. We knew exactly what the market needed. So from the first day, we just opened the door. We were like, okay, we're not going to announce it. We're going to do a soft launch. We opened the door, and it was packed, and we've been running since day one. Yeah, because the other thing I noticed was that you do a, you did, or at least did a 60-minute lead generation breakfast masterclass. So that was, like, another promotional thing you did with basically – you were working with somebody else, yeah. I imagine. On and we that, do a lot right? of stuff like that. We do. We we had financial stability for young black women. We do. Uh, we had a, um, a real estate uh, seminar. We had like a mindfulness workshop. Like we do a lot of like we do a lot of extra outside of the restaurant core business that just gives back to the community mm-hmm. as well, right? Because I really feel like our space is a space and it's a home for us to meet. And develop. And that's why I got to know like all the guests in my in in, in 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 that are in my space. If I know like, oh, hey, you're a creative, like you're a director, you're an actor, oh you two should meet. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of that too. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of mm-hmm. uh, people that come in and see like, oh, I like your space, I do this and this and this. Uh it's like, oh hey, if you want to do a meeting here, no no worries, we we can do that. Like I said, I, Put the the beamer down. You can have your presentations. You can do brunch meetings, lunch meetings, breakfast meetings. You know, it's that's to me too because I never. Yeah, and 
it's a great layout and yeah, atmosphere and that's, for that's that. Also, because it was never my dream to open a restaurant, right? So once I had the restaurant, I really saw it mm-hmm. as a space for business, a space for business development, a space to meet people, and a space for us. That's really cool stuff to rock. So look, man, what can we look from you guys in the future? What do you plan on expanding out water and brood? I mean, what what's kind of your 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 hopes for the future as we wrap up here? Hopes for the future with Rather Than Broke. Rather Than Broke is just the one, right? So we're just trying to keep that and sustain that and make sure that that develops and grows as it goes. Um, but for me personal, my, my goal personally is really not being dependent on any active business. So when I say like I, I've put, um, when I was working for the, uh, in, in, in corporate world, I was setting myself up not to be dependent on my own business uh, as an income. So I started in real estate. As I look right now and I'm living more, I feel like, yo, real estate is a way for us, right, to have a passive income, to really focus on that, what we want to do and get energy out of instead of focusing our energy on what we need to do to survive. So Mm. as the future for me, the restaurant, I love the restaurant, but I will never want to be 100% dependent on the restaurant because that takes the fun out of the business. And I think a lot of uh, restaurants that fail in the first three years, that's their only and main source of income. So that means you can't really, you don't really have the space to breathe and to develop the concept and, you know, to to really put the love into the restaurant because you're dependent on the mm. restaurant to keep yourself afloat, right? Because it's very easy to look at a, a business like a restaurant as like, yo, all I do is pay bills. You know what I mean? You got to pay the supplier. You got to pay personnel. You got to pay mm-hmm. rent. You got to pay like everybody's eating off of the restaurant, right? So where's the fun in it? Yeah, literally, literally, literally. everybody's coming in and taking a piece, (laughs) right? So to me, like the only way to to make sure that I keep having fun with it, right, is to make sure that I have different forms of income and not be dependent on one form of income to where I say like, yo. You're an entrepreneur at heart. Yeah, because if I don't want to take a catering job, I don't want to be forced to take it because I have to pay rent. Right? Mm-hmm. I want to be able to say, like, nah, we don't do that right now. We're not focusing on catering right now. I'm focusing on the restaurant. Or we're not focusing on, we're not doing, you know, there's a lot of trend, trendy things in, in, in the restaurant business now. Like people come in, yeah, I want mm-hmm. a shy mocha latte frappuccino. Like, no, <laughs> we got, <laughs> right? We got coffee. <laughs> we got a latte. You know what I mean? Like, if you're dependent, no, but that's just a real thing. If you're dependent on a business like that, then you gotta, then you almost have to go where, like, the, the, the market demands you to go. But right now, I'm in a position, no, this is where we at. This is what I feel should be here, right? This is what I feel that this is worth. And you're gonna love it. 
and they do. I love it. <laughs> Thank God. They do. They do. It's it's good stuff. So why don't you uh, share your information, share how people can connect with you, see the restaurant, maybe Instagram. Feel free to, to put that out there. Almost definitely. You want to Instagram at waterandbrood.ams for Amsterdam. So waterandbrood.ams. Um, we're on Facebook. The same thing, waterandbrood.ams. Uh, we got a website, www.waterandbroad.com. Um, but trust me, if you Google Chicken and Waffles Amsterdam, you're going to find us. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Tarak, man, I appreciate your time. I really do. You've been amazing, man. I appreciate for you to let me talk, man. <laughs> I know yes. it's a lot of words, Thank but I hope you. your listeners got something out of it. Um, mostly, first and foremost, I love what you do connecting worldwide. Black businesses. I got to come down to North Carolina. Where are you, Riley? Yeah, yeah, Raleigh, exactly where I'm at. Exactly. Yep. I, yep. I should definitely come down there. I heard they got some good food out there. They do. It's always a good reason to travel. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm happy I have a friend across the road, man. I appreciate Thank you. it. Same here, my friend. Thank you so much. Hey, hope you got something out from today's episode. I thought it was pretty cool. I love, again, their mantra. I, I really like the part where he talks about they're trying to step away from the hypes and trends and focus purely on the dishes and influences uh, of, you know, the things around them and what matters most and getting quality local roasted coffee and all that good stuff. I mean, Tarak is a great business guy. You could see that he's been focused very early on. And, you know, those are kind of the messages that I hope come across to you that in every move that you make, you should be considering yourself five years down. So if you're taking a certificate today, make it meaningful for what you want to do in the future. So I really hope you enjoyed this. Until next Sunday, where we share more, please share this episode out. Feel free to leave some feedback on. Remember, you can win $25. Go on iTunes. Leave us that five stars. Leave us a review. Go wherever you can hear podcasts. Stitcher Radio. You can go on Spotify. The Marketplace podcast is on there. Search us. Go on the Marketplace online. We're out there. Please share this. This support continues to drive us and find good guests and build up this podcast. We've had such good momentum. And I thank you so much for continuing to be faithful listeners. It's meant a lot to me. So I look forward to sharing more with you next Sunday on the Marketplace podcast. Until then, I'll see you soon. I'm the best ever. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. (laughs) 